Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. In the last study we had of this First uh, John, we saw that there were some indica- indicators uh, that are written in Scripture to give us assurance that we are saved uh, and that we are safe. And so uh, I think a lot of, uh, based on the insurance company in, in, our, um, in our nation and even in the world, uh, a lot of us have insurance. A lot of us like the idea of having insurance. And uh, so when it comes to our eternity, it's important for us to have that security. important for us to, to think, man, I'm secure. I'm safe. I'm, I'm covered. I've got my future taken care of. And again, based off of what Christ has done, uh, we can have that. But again, there's some indicators that we have in Scripture that show us in our life that uh, we, we know that we can have assurance of that salvation. Not only the commitment we know we've made ourselves, uh, the surrender we've given our lives to Christ, not only those things, but some evidences, some again, some indicators. The first one was obeys Christ's commands. So uh, if somebody obeys Christ's commands, that's a good indication they're following Christ because to follow Christ, you obey his commands. That's what we saw. Number two, God's love is growing in them. Uh, That's something that is evident, the fact that they love people, the fact that God's love is in them. They even love the unlovable. They love those that don't love them, um, and that love increases in their life. And then thirdly, uh, their life follows the Savior's life. And so uh, somebody who is trying to to, to pattern their life after Christ uh, is obviously, again, trying to follow him. So again, some evidences um, of a Christian. But the, the natural question, I think, that comes up when we, when we talk about commands, which uh, we talked a little bit about last week, um, is which commands, right? If, we, if, if one of the indications of a Christian is that they obey Christ's commands, what commands? And so I say, well, all of them. Uh, but we're going to see tonight that there's a singular commandment uh, there's, uh, that John alludes to, uh, the commandment uh, that's important. So... Um, there's also something that people do with the commandment, and that's attach it to the law. Some people think in this train of, or this line of thinking that you have a commandment, you have law, uh, then I thought we're in the New Covenant, the New Testament, not the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Uh, the New Testament was established with Christ's blood. It, it, it brought in uh, the advent of, or, or the, the, the age of grace, the age of the law was, you know, this is people's mindset, uh, taken away. And again, we have this new age of grace in Christ. Um, the old covenant was maintained by the blood of animals. And again, the new covenant established by the blood of Christ once and for all, never having to, to be sacrificed again. And so people go to that mindset of if we have to obey the, the commands of God, then we have to obey the laws of God. That means that we aren't falling into the new covenant, the New Testament of following after Christ in this age of grace. I thought we were under grace, some people say, not under the law. Uh, the answer to all of those questions would be yes. Yes. Say, so what? How can it be everything? Uh, there's no way that in one service that Tom would allow us to cover all of this, but tonight maybe an attempt at a little bit of a summary uh, might do a little bit of justice. So here, here goes a little bit of a summary to hopefully do justice to this. We know 100% according to Scripture and what we know that God is just, God is righteous, and He is light. 
We've seen this in, in the study so far. All of these things are very clear in the study, but all throughout Scripture. So everything that God thinks, everything that God does, everything that God says or desires is right. I say that again. Everything that God thinks, everything he does, everything he says, and even his desires, all of it is right and pure. Now look at us. That's God. Look at us. We are sinful. We are unrighteous. We are darkness and in darkness. Everything we think, everything we do, everything uh, that we desire is without God and is wrong on our own. So when God directs or God commands, it's right. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we think, regardless of, of our experiences, again, God is still right, and in ourselves, we are still wrong. Now, it is without question, when you look through Scripture, God has worked in different ways with different people throughout different ages, all while staying the same in his righteousness, in his will, in his way, in his word, never changing in his character, never changing in his person. Again, he's not changed. His will hasn't changed. None of these things have changed. But again, no doubt... He's commanded and he's even demanded things of people throughout history in different contexts, but all for the same end. So when you look to the Jews, when you look to the Gentiles, when you look to all the different ages that God has worked with man in man's existence, uh, God has never changed, his will has never changed, his purposes have never changed, but the way that he interacts and that his work has been different in some, in some regard but all for the same end. What is that end? What is the end of God's desire concerning man? Again, all we can do is turn to Scripture and find that answer. We can't speculate. We can't assume. We can't have our own opinion because, again, remember, we're in darkness. Everything we have is wrong. Every thought we have, all that is in, in, in darkness outside of God. And so when we look at what Scripture says, we see that God is interested as God of all in His glory. Being, rena being renowned. We, we see that it is what he is due because of his very nature. Because he is God, he is the only one that's due glory and honor and praise. This is what we see in the very end of the book of the Bible. We see in Revelation, that's what the song is. Glory and honor is, is to be to your name. And so God is interested in his glory, not in a, in a sin, because men, our, our, our minds and our thoughts go wrong. And when we start thinking, well, somebody's interested in their own thing, they're selfish, they're, they're being wrong. But God is not that. God is divine. God is, and even if, even if God were to be selfish in, in the terms that we think selfish and sinful, um, as God, he would have a right to do that. Um, but he, he cannot sin, and he's not uh, selfish in this fleshly way that we think. But he is a jealous God. Because he is God, he alone deserves glory and praise. But that's not the only thing God desires concerning his people. Again, God wants praise and glory from, from our lives, from, from, our, from everything that we have, everything we do. But it's very clear throughout Scripture that God desires and has desired throughout all of man's existence fellowship with him. In sincere faith and love, sincere love for him. That's what God desires. It's been evident throughout all of, his, all of his interaction with man. No matter what you look at, no matter where you turn, no matter how you see God interacting throughout all history, 
throughout, throughout the Bible, what you see is God's interested in his name being above all names, that no other God will be put before him. And you also see God desiring and willing to do whatever it takes to have that fellowship with mankind, even to the end of sending his own son. So with that in mind, we know that we'll eventually get to look at, I think in chapter five, where John says that his commands are not grievous or they're not burdensome. They're not, they're not something that we say, oh man, we gotta do this because God's commanded us to do that. Again, what we see in scripture, especially as the people of God, and I'll put this in your notes and put it on the screen, that his commands are right directives for people in the wrong. All throughout scripture, that's what we see. His, com his commands are right directives for people in the wrong. So again, no matter where you're at, no matter what you think, no matter what circumstances you're going through, God's commands, his commandment, his, his will, his word is always right, regardless of how you feel or what you think. It's always good. But the reality is when we walk in line or when we walk in obedience, to the right commands of God, the Bible says that we are in the light as he is in the light. And if we are in the light as he is in the light, as we've already studied in 1 John, that means that we have fellowship with him. Again, we can't have this fellowship with him, we've already talked about this too, without that right relationship that was afforded, afforded us only through the death of Jesus Christ. And so again, these are the things that we have. The death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, all of these things afford us this relationship that brings us into the light, brings us into right fellowship with God, and that's what God desires. So when we look at his commands that aren't grievous, and we look that when we walk in, in the light, when we walk in obedience, when we walk in fellowship with God, that we have that interaction with God, again, that is exactly the, the intent. That's the desire of God's commands in our life. So when John's addressing God's people in this letter, which very clearly he is, his reference to God's command or God's commandment could produce a specific question, even for God's people. If it's singular, this commandment, what is it? What is this commandment that John is, is very clearly saying is important, that's, 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 that we need to look at, observe, and, 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 and uh, give a lot of attention to? Uh, that's what we'll look at tonight. A little bit, and uh, we'll see what God has. So let's pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you again for the opportunity we have to worship you as a church family. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your commands, God. At times when we're in the flesh or when we're not where we're supposed to be, your commands can seem uh, laborious or, or grievous or burdensome. Uh, but we know that when we are uh, in a right place in our relationship with you as much as possible, that the commands are a joy to observe. And this command that we see tonight is, is evident in our life, and it is um, natural in the new man, and it is, um, again, something that is, is joyful for us. And so uh, help us to receive this message tonight uh, with a right heart and apply it in our lives as, as necessary. Lord, just move tonight. Use me as a vessel that you would be glorified and you alone, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 is where we pick up. It says, brethren, again, as I said a while ago, he's very clearly writing to believers. Listen to what he says. I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, 
which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, the very first thing it's important to recognize is that John was referring to this existing commandment that wasn't new to all believers that would be reading this letter. Something that is not new. I'm not writing something that is a, a new revelation or something that a new observation. Since the beginning of their faith, they have heard a command from Jesus Christ himself, and that was love. Jesus gave them a command from the very inception of him beginning his church. And again, he made it clear, God first and foremost, and then love for one, of, one another next. This is the command that was not new that John is writing about. But when we look back to what Jesus was telling his followers, when he said it in John chapter 13, he told them, I'm giving you a new commandment. If you, you can turn over there whenever you get an opportunity, you can you know, highlight, circle, read it when you get an opportunity. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I write unto you, that you love the Lord, your, you know, that you love one another, I'm sorry, uh, as yourself. And so this is the, the, the new commandment that Jesus was giving, but it's not new at the time of John's writing. It's important to understand when John is, is about to say this new commandment that he's referring to a freshness, not a beginning of a commandment or the, the revelation of a commandment. And so when he, he, he references this in just a second, you'll understand, well, he just said, I'm not writing you something new, I'm writing you something old, and then he turns around and says, I'm writing you something new. So is John bipolar? Is he not able to understand what he's writing? Or, you know, why is he doing this? He's not talking about new, again, as in the beginning of, or something brand new, something never heard before. He's talking about a, a freshness. So with that in mind, look at verse 8 again, or a better rendering of that word again would be at, at the same time it is a new commandment I write to you again that's that word freshness so he says I'm not telling you something that you've never heard before I'm not writing to you about something that is unfamiliar to you but I am talking about something that is still fresh something that is that that never goes never gets old something that never should get old this is something fresh which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, or uh, another understanding of that would be passing. The darkness is passing, and the true light now shineth. Again, the freshness of this command is still very real and right in our life today. But John writing to them, maybe just a few years after, uh, maybe a little bit longer th than, than that, but uh, Jesus' death and resurrection and even his ministry and commands here, um, obviously was trying to make the importance of this commandment real in their life. This command is fresh. It's real. It's important. It's right. It never goes old. It, it will never grow old. It will never go away. This is a, an alive, a fresh commandment that I'm talking to you about as believers. And I love this because we know this is still true for us today. This command is still as fresh today as it was when the Holy Spirit was breathing it to John to write so many years ago. This command is so important. The commandment of God is just as fresh. I would say not even only when he, John wrote it, but even back in the beginning when God created man and had desire to have fellowship with man and the foundation of that relationship being love. I also love that he brings these two elements of light and love together. If you look in what John's writing, and, and, and we're about to see that in, in, in real time, but it's very clear that light and love always are together. In John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is referred to as the light. 
It said that the light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. That Jesus came into this world. He was the true light. We also see that those who have Jesus in them have his light in us. We also see that Jesus says in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that we are the light of the world. So to be in the Lord is to be in the light. And so when we look at Jesus' advent on this earth, his ministry, his, his, his first advent, when he comes and he says, I'm, I'm going to establish my kingdom in you. Uh, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Uh, he gives his commands to, to, to love him and to love one another. We also realize that he, he uh, pronounces judgment on the day of darkness. And we see that both in his, his teachings and also in Paul's writings. The time of darkness is passing, is coming to an end. The tough part for us who are living in the end of times is we see this, the end times increase of darkness before the end of the day of darkness, if you will. The Bible says that, that the love of many will, will wax cold. It says that, um, uh, that, that uh, evil men will wax greater and greater. You know, there's going to be an uptick in violence. That, that uh, I was talking to Miss Joyce today that uh, there will be many that turn away their ear from the truth. And so we're seeing that, but the reality is the end of darkness is at hand. And Jesus came on the scene, defeated darkness on the cross and through the empty tomb. And so what we see with John now writing to believers is this connection of these two elements, light and love, if you look at it in verse 9. He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So if you say that you're in the light, which again, Jesus is the light. If you're in Christ, you are in the light. Uh, the light is in you. You are the light of the world. Uh, if you are in the Lord, you love because he first loved us. All of these elements we've seen so far. And now John is turning it not only with our, our relationship with God, but now he's talking about our relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, if there's somebody that says that they're in the light, somebody that says that they have Christ in them, Somebody that says that they've been changed from darkness and put in the light. Somebody who says they have a relationship with God. Somebody who says they're a Christian, but hates their brother. They're still in darkness. They're not in the light. Obviously, as we've said already, this is pointed towards believers because he's talking about brothers and sisters. Any reference, brethren. I say that because this becomes a measuring stick as well. We've already seen some of these evaluations. We talked about it in the very beginning. Again, tonight, there's some identifiers of true Christianity, assurance of salvation. This, too, is in perfect harmony with that. Love being a principal element in the life of a believer. So John makes it crystal clear. You can say all day long that you're a Christian. You can profess it to everybody. You can play the game. You can go through the motions. You can do all those things. You can say you're in the light. You can, you can listen to Christian music. You can do all the right things. You know, all those things. You can say you're going to heaven. You can say you're saved. You can say all those things. Yet if you don't have a sincere love for your brother or sister, you're in darkness still. See, when someone gets saved... The light and the love of God invades their life. That's what happens. 
When, when someone gets saved, the light of God and the love of God with the Holy Spirit invades their life, transforming them into a child of light. That's what Paul would say to the, I think, Ephesians. Walk as children of light. When this happens, those of us who have had God invade our life with his light and love, it's at that point that we have the capacity to love and obey God's commands unlike before the life change happened. So if, if nothing has changed concerning your walk, nothing has changed concerning your love, specifically for other believers, since the time that you said you got saved, then you have to evaluate whether you are truly in the light, whether you're truly in Christ. Because John says, if you say that you're in the light, but you hate your brother or sister in Christ, you still are living in darkness. You're not in the light. <clears throat> the other element of this is there's this murky element that we have that we don't really know who is truly saved and who truly isn't saved. Now, that's not to say that we can't draw an accurate assessment based off of fruit of who might be saved and who might not be saved. Absolutely, we can. You can look at the fruit in someone's life, but only God can truly judge a person's soul. The Bible says that. It's not for us to judge. We can look at somebody's fruit and know whether they are truly a Christian based on that evidence. That's what the Bible says. In other words, you can't get spinach from an apple tree. You know, I mean, that's just not the way it works. And so somebody who is truly in Christ, how rotten would that be? Right? You go to, to, to an apple tree and all you got is spinach. Some of you like spinach. and It wouldn't be a problem. But, but again, a tree is known by its fruit. Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> again, one of the obvious fruits of a Christian, one of the obvious fruits of a believer, somebody who's in the light, is love. To eliminate any question on who is our brother, though, say, well, so I'm supposed to love, I'm supposed to love my brother, that's an evidence of being a Christian. Um, but to eliminate any murky water, any murky understanding of who we're supposed to love, well, I, I don't really love them because I'm not sure that they're a Christian. <laughs> to eliminate that misconception or misperception of what this, this may uh, lead to, Jesus, going back to what he commanded in Matthew chapter 22, made it very clear when he was challenged. Pharisees challenged him because he put silence to Sadducees. In verse uh, 34, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. So this guy was an expert in the law. This guy was a lawyer. He was expert. So he knew based off of what Jesus had been teaching, knew based off of what the Sadducees had been arguing and how they were silenced and that this guy knew how to attack Jesus to try to trap him. And so this is why he did this. This is why he questioned him because they were trying to trap him, trying to, to, to uh, devalue his teaching, trying to prove him wrong, trying to get him out of the picture. And so he says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So since you are such an expert, uh, you know, this, this lawyer would be saying sarcastically, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? I mean, if you know the law, evidently we don't because you are constantly correcting us. 
What then is the greatest commandment? He said to him, without hesitation. We don't see any hesitation. We don't see anything. He answers you. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first great and foremost commandment. But then he doesn't stop. He said, well, but I'm not done. Because he asked him what the great commandment, what's the greatest commandment? He said, I'll answer that, but it, it's connected. It's, it's not just about this because you are humans. You are, you are people and you are living on this earth in, 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 on my earth that I created. And so it, it's, not, it's not only about your relationship with me, but it's also about your relationship with others. So to eliminate any misconception uh, on who we're supposed to love outside of our love for God first and foremost, he said the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And he says on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. They, they all, all of the commandments hang on those two. And if you turn to the, the Ten Commandments, you see that breakdown. You see the commandments that have to do with our relationship with God, and then you see the commandments that have to do with our fellow man. So Jesus said, all of those things have to do with love. They don't have to do with, with a, a, a religious uh, following of these commands just because God said so. They're supposed to be observed out of love. Those, those, that's what those commands point to. The, the, uh, the first few having to do with your love for God. Don't have any other gods before him. Don't take his name in vain. Don't have it, make it grave an image. And the others have to do with your fellow man. If you love somebody, you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to lie to them. You're not going to murder them. It's different. Love, is, lo love looks a little bit different. So again, we see that love, the command of love is vital. The obedience is vital. And again, an obvious indicator of one who's in Christ and light. But he goes on back in our text in verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the, that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And so I really am not following what John's trying to say right here. He very simply says, Whoever loves his brother lives in this new age that Christ brought in to the world of light, of righteousness, of relationship with God. This new day that is dawned because of Christ's death and his resurrection and his teachings is something that this person who loves his brother lives in. And because of this, this evidence is that there's nothing in him to make him stumble, the person who loves his brother. See, John's talking about this, this element of hatred being um, like an internal stumbling block. There's, there's, a, there's a stumbling block whenever hatred is in your heart. And it's like when you turn the light switch off and you try to make your, your way around a room, you end up stumbling on things you don't see. And that's what John is alluding to. It's simple. If you love, the light switches on. And it's easier to maneuver around other things that may cause you to stumble. But when you're not loving the way you're supposed to, you end up stumbling upon other things other than that hatred. Hatred is like, hatred is like having the light switch off in your walk with God. And you end up making one mistake after the next. Another mistake after the next. 
tonight if you're struggling with, with love for someone, uh, it may not, you may not equate that to hatred. But there's this contrast between the two that's so stark that it leaves no gray area. You either love or you don't love. To not love would be the equivalent of hatred. So I don't know. I don't know about that. Jesus used the word hate um, even when he talked about loving less. When he said that, in the command he says, whoever doesn't hate his mother, father, brother, sister, wife, husband, son, daughter, I mean, the whole family, the whole gamut of relationships on earth cannot be my disciple. Talking about their love for God in comparison to love for others. He used the word hate to describe a, a, a lesser love for those relationships or for those people in their life. And so when we look at how, how could I not be uh, exp- or expressing or, or feeling or, or having love in my heart for a brother or sister. I think there's some things that can be harbored in our heart that can foster um, the lack or the absence of love. Some things like unforgiveness, bitterness. Again, maybe it is hatred. It's gone to that level of resentment and hatred. For the Christian those elements should be avoided so that we don't stumble at other things. But for someone who is struggling with their love, this person walks around, the Bible says, right here in our text, in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I don't know about you, but I've, I've done that before in the middle of the night. Had to get up for different reasons. We won't go into details, right? And... In your own home, you may, you may could walk around with your eyes closed if you've been living there for a long time. Uh, maybe you could feel your way. Uh, but in, maybe in an unfamiliar place, it might be a little, a little more ugly to have the lights off and try to make your, make, make your way around a place um, without any injury. Uh, I know I've definitely stepped on things, tripped over things, uh, kicked things before, uh, arms of legs, arms of tables, and stuff like that. Uh, and that's the illustration that we see in this, in this context, a Christian who harbors hatred or the absence of love or the lack of love for another Christian has lost all sense of direction in their life, basically. Like a man wandering in the dark. There's other dangers that they face. <clears throat> but what does this look like? We get that if we love, we're in the light. If we hate, we're in the darkness. If we love, that we're not going to stumble like those who don't love. That, that's, that's simple. But what does it look like tangibly? How can we apply this in our life? What, is this, what does this matter to us tonight? We walk out of here. How, how does this, again, put, how do we put feet to this? I think it's best explained and illustrated by God himself. What does love look like? What, what is my response to this commandment of love and loving my brother and, and, and being in the light, not in darkness? What does this look like in my life? Again, God gives us the best example of what love looks like. Everybody knows the verse? John 3, 16. For God so loved. The author of love, the source of love, the the commander of love, 
the, all the things of love come from God. And so God says, here's, the, here's what the expression of love looks like. God so loved the world that he gave. What did God give? His only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So when we look at what this means, what, what does love mean? If I'm supposed to love my brother or love my sister and that is evidence that I'm in the light, if I don't love or I love less or I hate my brother or sister, I'm in the darkness, what is, how, how does that look in my life? What's the litmus test? How do I evaluate where my love is for my brother or sister? How, how can I know for sure that it's right with God and it's right with other people if those are the most important things? Again, we see he gave so that gives us one of the most elementary principles about love in our life. When we say, I love something, or I love them, what does love do? Love gives. Love gives. Love gives in your marriage. Love gives with your kids, with your grandkids. It gives in your relationship with the Lord. Again, Love gives. We see that with God. There's no greater explanation on what love does than what we see that God did as he expresses his love. God so loved that he gave. It, it moved, his love for us moved him to a point to give to us something we were unworthy of. So, tonight, what do we have to give to express love? What is, what's within our abilities? What's within our capabilities? What's within our capacity to, to give, to express love? Our all? We could give a general answer and say, well, our all. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what God did, right? He gave his only begotten son. He gave his all so that we'd have a relationship with him. So we could just, just have that fluff tonight and say, you know, tonight we, we need to evaluate our love and we need to give our all. And, and I think that I'm not trying to minimize that because I think that's the truth. We should. Love gives, and we should give our all. All to God, all to others. That's the way that love should be expressed in our life. But tangibly, within the scope of our stewardship, what God has given to us and entrusted to us, what we control in our lives, the reality is this, that love can be expressed in and through our lives in certain ways and, and with certain things. And so tonight, in your notes, something you've heard me talk about many times before, but these are the ways that I believe God wants us to give or express or possess love in our relationship with Him and our relationship with others. Number one, in our attitude. We should have an attitude of love at all times. If, if Christ is in us, and we are in the light, and we, we have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others, our attitude should be an attitude of love towards God and an attitude of love towards others. It should just be there. And when you have that kind of love for God and for others, and specifically towards others, because God never fails, God never sins, God never lets us down, but we know that people do. And so one of the greatest tests of our love is not necessarily... Um, maintaining that love for God, even though we're going to talk about this in just a second. But one of the greatest struggles that we can have is maintaining the right attitude of love towards others when they fail us or when they let us down or when they even offend us. Because the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. 
It doesn't mean that it makes those sins right. It means that it covers them. It means that as, as Jesus hung on the cross, he could still have an attitude and a desire of love towards those that were killing him. And he could say, Father, forgive them because that had love towards them. It covers a multitude of sins. Think, don't think about it right now because it might take your mind to a wrong place, but we could think about all the sins that we could bring to memory in our life and in our past. And we could think, man, God's love has covered a multitude of sins in my life. That's what love does. But love for, in, our, in relationship with each other, love covers a multitude of sins, but it comes down to an attitude of love. If you are in the light and your relationship with God is right, then your relationship with other people are going to be right. I've, I've, I've preached that before because it's scriptural that you can't say, I'm, I have a good relationship with God, I just don't have a good relationship with them. But you better go back and check that because you can't have a right relationship with God without having a right relationship with others. Again, number one evidence is love for your brother or sister that we're talking about tonight. But again, the second thing is you can go to the story of the Good Samaritan, right? They asked him, Lord, who is our neighbor? Jesus gave the, the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he showed it's anybody, it's any, anybody that is in need, anybody that you can express love or anybody that you could give to because that's the story of the Samaritan, right? He takes him to the inn. He gives him the, the innkeeper money. He gives him everything he needs. And he says, if he needs anything else, let me know. Love gives. And so, attitude. We can control our attitude. We can express love in our attitude. We can uh, give in our attitude love. But the second thing is our actions. Not just what's in our mind, not just how we feel or think our attitude, but also the things that we do. Right? The, the things that we do express love or express a lack of love or express hatred. So, maybe, maybe you say, well, I, I'm just dealing with this right now the only way I can. Maybe you just need to ask God for forgiveness and help to love your, your, your brother or your sister the way you're supposed to. And that you would be able to not only have the right attitude of love towards them, but you would be able to act towards them in love. Because it's not just about, well, I love them in my mind. I'm just, I just don't want to have that interaction with them. That, that's not right. That's not at all what we see in, in, in interaction with, with God and interaction with mankind. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the love was lived out before us. He interacted on a daily basis. His actions were in love. And so our actions as children of light should be in love. We can control our actions. Our actions should be love. The third thing, of course, is our speech. So we can control our attitude. We can control our actions. And we can control our speech. So all those things were in the scope of our stewardship. So God says, I'm giving you this opportunity. I'm giving you these, these areas that, that are in your will. You make choices concerning your attitude. Now, God can give us an attitude adjustment. Amen. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think most of us have had that before. You know, if you've been a Christian for a amount of time, God can say, listen, I, I want you to get this right. And he can convict us. He can chastise us. He can do different things to make sure that our attitude is, is right. But it's also our speech which also goes back to our attitude because Jesus taught out of the abundance of the heart and the mouth speaks. So if your attitude is right, your heart is right towards others, then you're going to speak things of love towards others. So look at those three areas within the scope of your stewardship, your attitude, your actions, we all should be in love towards your brother, towards your sister in Christ. 
But there's, other, there's three other areas of stewardship that God has given to us that we have control over that should express love for God and love for others. Number four on the list, and first in this category, is time. We can display our love for God and our love for others with how we use our time. Number five, talent or abilities. What God has entrusted you with your mental abilities, with your physical abilities, within the ability you have as an American and the freedoms that you have. I mean, all of those things, these, these are things that God has entrusted to us in our life. And so through our time, how does that express our love for God and others? Through the abilities we have, how we express love through that. And then lastly, of course, our treasure. Our treasure. There's no question that we all determine these things. You said, no, the bill collectors determine that last category. <laughs> no, we, there's some things that we put ourselves in, and again, we, we choose that. But love is seen, experienced, and expressed through those channels. These are the channels that we have control over. These are the areas that God has entrusted us. You, you can do an honest evaluation of what you love most with these things. I want to say that again. You can do an honest evaluation of what you love most in these six areas. Because you can see in your attitude what your love for God looks like and for your love for others. You can see in your actions what your love for God and your love for others look like. You can see in the way that you talk what your love for God and your love for others looks like. You can see how you spend your time what your love for God and your love for others. You can see your abilities, what you do with what God has given you ability-wise. You can see your love for God and love for others. And again, what you spend your money on, you can see, gauge and evaluate your love for God and your love for others. So tonight, how is your love for the brethren based off of these channels? Your attitudes, actions, and speech, your time, talent, and treasure. Think about your love for bro your brothers and sisters in Christ. What does it look like? When people experience or see your attitude, does it read love? When your brothers and sisters encounter your attitude, does it read love? When people see your actions, the things that you do, inside of church, outside of church, do your actions speak love? When, when people hear you speak, do they hear love? And furthermore, does an honest evaluation of what and who you spend your time with reveal a genuine love for God and genuine love for his people. Again, an honest evaluation of what and who you spend your time with, does it reveal a sincere love for God and his people? What about your talent? An honest evaluation of what and who you use your talent for 
reveal a love for God in his people. So I, I work so much I can't do anything else. <clears throat> if you can't use anything you have for God, maybe that's the evaluation you need to do. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying that. Maybe God has you in that job and giving you those abilities so that you can minister to the people that you work with. But are you doing it? Does an honest evaluation of what and who you spend your treasure on reveal a love for God and his people? And that's the thing that we don't like to talk about, right? It really is. Because you can talk about my time, I just don't have time for this, right? You know, we, we can kind of deal with that. But when we start talking about money, you say, preacher, that's enough. Stop. Leave me alone. But it's the reality. Uh, all of us live this way. It's just an honest evaluation. We spend money on what matters to us. That's the truth. And because of perversions and mis, uh, misuses and abuses, abuses even inside of Christianity, people look at it in a, a worldly and fleshly way and say, well, I'm not going to do that because of this. But the reality is this. If, if the Lord matters to you and his kingdom matters to you, it's not just your time and it's not just your abilities. It's also your treasure. That's why Jesus said it. You can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other, cling to one and despise the other. And he said, you can't serve God and money. You can't do it. And then he says this, where your, this is not me, this is Jesus. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I really believe that, that because of the abuse of the health and wealth and the prosperity gospel that's so poisonous today and has been going on for decades, People have this, this shyness to that. And they, they look at things from a worldly perspective. But I can tell you this. We can go around the room and, I, and I'll, I'll start. That there's, no, there's, there's, there's not many other greater joys that, that I can tangibly do as a Christian. There's others that, that trump this. But I love giving to the Lord. I, I love tithing. I love giving. I love uh, helping as we can help. I love doing as we can do. I, lo I love that. And I, we could go around the room with people that do that and they could tell you the same exact story. There's a joy in that. But the question tonight, just the, the challenge is how is your love? How's your love tonight? Is your love for God unrivaled? Because that's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Is your love for God just, you can, you can based on what we've talked about tonight, attitude, action, action, speech, time, talent, treasure, in those areas, is your love for God seen as unrivaled? Based on how my attitude, my actions, and my speech go, based on how I spend my time, my abilities, and my treasure, it's very clear in my life that I love God above everything else, even above my own belly, even above my own hobbies, even above my own desires. I love God above everything. Is your love for the brethren, secondly, real and clear and expressed? Because a lot of people can say, in theory, just in their mind, or they could say it with their mouth, yeah, I love the church, I love, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
but is it revealed? Because remember what we said? God so loved that he gave. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't something that people had to wonder about. Does God really love us? Like this shouldn't be said of the, about us. Nobody should look around in this room and say, I wonder if they love me. I wonder if they love the Lord. I wonder if they love the people of God. It should be clear in all of our lives that we love the Lord and that we love each other. And again, that's the challenge we see from John. Tonight, uh, as I close, I just wanna, I want you to do that challenge. I've been challenged, um, did this evaluation. I've talked to the Lord already. I, I don't want anything other than love to be seen in these areas. Love for God and love for you guys, love for other Christians, love for other people. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. And so if you can do an evaluation of your life in these areas and say, it may be questioned, then maybe tonight you just talk to the Lord. Say, God, help me in this area. I, I struggle with forgiving them. I struggle with holding on to this. I struggle with expressing this. I struggle with that. I said, talk to the Lord about it. Ask him for your help because if you're his child, he'll give you that help. However the Lord speaks to you, I encourage you to respond. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this, this message tonight. Again, this speaks to me, speaks to us. Lord, help us to respond rightly. Lord, you are love. You have expressed love and you have demonstrated what it should look like in all of our lives. And Lord, help us tonight do a real evaluation of our attitude, our actions, our speech, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Lord, these are the things you've entrusted us with, and in every area, all those areas, love should be very clearly seen. Love for you and love for others. And so, Lord, I ask you just move now in this, in this time of response, this invitation, and just have your way. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.